On this episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, we continue our look into the paranormal in Ontario with part four of our series, Ghost Town. Join us as we investigate a scary story from the Wallaceburg area near the end of the 19th century, where the accounts of the haunting are still in dispute to this day. Here are your hosts, Craig Needles and Haley Chang. Up until now, we've covered almost every kind of haunt there is. Orbs, apparition, whispers, smells. We've reached deep into the bowels of paranormal phenomena. Oof, can you please rephrase that? But if there's one area that we haven't dabbled in, it's the mischievous, scary, and downright dangerous tales of the poltergeist. Before we start, we should define what a poltergeist is. Poltergeist is a ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises or objects being moved around. And that relates to our story because... Oh, right. Well, nearly 200 years ago, 1829 to 1831 to be exact, the Baldoon community had one of the strangest occurrences in this province's history happen to a family of Scottish immigrants just as they were settling into their new home. It was an evening like any other. The hearth crackling within the log cabins of the early settlers in the Canadian wilderness, surviving purely on their scales of the land, and experiencing a Canada that was much more harsh than the land we know today. It began with the Scottish immigrants that arrived in 1804, and they lived in an area southwest of Wallaceburg. Things didn't go well with the land, and they eventually moved a little farther north along the river called the Chanel e Cart. And they started setting up their homesteads there. Um, there was a young man by the name of John McDonald, and uh, he was uh, purchasing this piece of land. But this land was wanted by this old lady who lived uh, in the long, low house down the road. She wanted it for her two bullish sons to farm. And uh, he, uh, he bought it out from under her, and uh, she was mad. And she told him he needed to sell her that land that, you know, was hers, and he refused. And she basically told him, you'll be sorry. That's Don Mudford, a volunteer for the Wallaceburg Museum and part-time Baldoon witch reenactor. kind of began with the uh, girls in the barn, and they were weaving straw hats. And the uh, barn beams started falling down, and those were pretty secured barn beams. They should never have fallen, but they felt one day that uh, someone was visiting and uh, um, a gun in the corner that was parked in the corner there started going off and started dancing around the room on, on its butt and it's shooting holes in the roof. And, and it wasn't long before bullets started piercing through the windows of the house and they would just make a hole in the pane of glass. They wouldn't break glass. They would just leave a bullet-sized hole and they would drop harmlessly on the floor, never ever hitting anyone. And so they decided to pick up the bullets. They were like, they, they, they ended up calling them witch balls and they were, they came quite a commodity. But they would take them out and they'd throw them in the river. Well, the next thing you know, by the time they get back into the house, back through the windows they'd come and they'd be wet bullets laying on the floor. So the bullets weren't enough. Suddenly stones started coming through the windows, just flying through the air, and they did the same thing. And then they marked the stones and they threw them into the river. And before they'd get back to the house, those marked stones would be back laying on the living room floor soaking wet. Um, 
And that was just the beginning of all kinds of crazy happenings. Tried to grow crops on it and nothing would grow. The corn would get up to be about a foot tall and it would just dry up and die. They did see occasional ghosts. Some witnesses described seeing occasional ghosts. But what they see is this apparition of a black dog, which when we consider what the black dog is, it's actually a common theme in Scottish storytelling. And the McDonald's see both a giant black dog and a little black dog. And the black dog, as it appears in the Baldoon mystery, is at times in the middle of flames with fire all around it while a barn is burning. That's Rick Fair, a Wallaceburg local who's been writing a novel on the Baldoon mystery. I'm impressed at this family's devotion to their house. I would have left, but that's just me. Well, they did wind up leaving the house. It just didn't help. John's house actually eventually burned down. He moved in with his father, and all of the happenings continued at his father's house. They thought that the house was haunted. They found out that John was haunted. So John moved into a tent, but he had to move into his dad's house again because, you know, a Canadian winter is no, no place to spend uh, in a tent. Catholic priest came and did a, an exorcism, and that didn't do anything. Odd. Movies would tell me that priests are good at exorcisms. Well, exorcisms only work on demons. So it was either a poltergeist or a priest who wasn't very good at his job. Well, that's a question for Susan Demeter, who researches anomalies and has looked deeply into the Baldoon mystery and how poltergeists might be at work. This is actually um, common. It's a common feature in poltergeist cases where heavy pieces of furniture or objects, uh, they can seemingly uh, fly across a room or, or it, it looks like a really violent tossing of something across the room, but it always narrowly misses what we assume would be the intended victim. So it's common with poltergeists that this kind of thing happens. What often happens in a poltergeist case is it increases in intensity. And this happens with the Baldoon mystery on the McDonald farm. So the intensity of these uh, of the poltergeist increased as balls of fire were seen floating through the house. The Baldoon mystery is is most commonly known for this event that's referred to as lithobolia, which uh, in Latin I believe it means the stone throwing devil. And this happened to the McDonald family shortly after that first incident in which they reported lead bullets or lead stones, little lead weights, breaking windows of the house and falling harmlessly to the floor. Having things floating around your house is odd, but the fact that there's a word for that exact situation, that's what I find to be strange. It happened so often, they needed a term for it. And moving objects is just one of the things that make poltergeists different from ghosts. A poltergeist, however, is quite different in nature. A poltergeist is different in nature precisely because it is a social event in which more than one person, often multiple people, and in the case of the Baldoon mystery, dozens of people encounter something unexplainable, often horrific, and they encounter it in a way that they want it to stop. They want anything other than these mysterious events to come to an end. Now, a ghost story often features a ghost. 
A poltergeist, however, can feature a ghost, visual apparitions, auditory apparitions. Uh, I would say perhaps uh, 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 tactile events where they feel something against their skin. And that's the type of thing to give you goosebumps, right? It can feature um, uh, all sorts of maladies, um, balls of fire, which we see quite regularly in the Baldoon mystery. Almost every witness describes uh, either balls of fire flying through the house or these lead balls that go flying through the windows and apparitions of black dog appearing. Any number of events that happen in a poltergeist might happen in a ghost story as a one-off. Where do poltergeists even come from and why were they after the McDonald's? Believe it or not, there is actually an explanation for that. It's called parapsychology, a field of study concerned with the investigation of evidence for paranormal psychological phenomena, such as telepathy, clairvoyance, and psychokinesis. I think that from a parapsychological standpoint, it would seem that um, somebody that was there would have had maybe a uh, repressed uh, anxiety or a, you know, they were unable to properly express their own anxieties. And so what happens then is that PK psychokinesis happens around them. And this could be the case with Baldoon as well, because uh, what we're really not discussing when we look at the, the, the ghostly or the first folkloric aspect of it is that these were new settlers to Canada. Southern Ontario was not what it is today. Then it was a very harsh in comparison to where they were coming from. Um, even though these were hardy Scottish folk, um, you know, Canada is a very, very harsh place back then. They, they, you know, they were coming from the old world into, uh, you know, Southern Ontario in, in those days. And, you know, this was before they, the War of 1812, or it was around that time. I mean, it was pretty wild. Um, the land was really wild. And then, of course, you know, the Indigenous people were really, you know, in many ways, they were robbed. Like, they were, you know, they were pushed off their land. And so you have to figure the tension surrounding the Indigenous people and these settlers at the time would have been, you know, you might not have had just the one focal point of, of a poltergeist. All of this might have been the result of, of such societal, a group of people under so much stress and tension with each other. And so maybe it wasn't being expressed properly. And so it exploded in this uh, psychokinesis or PK. And perhaps because it, the person who's having this is, 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 is frustrated and they don't really realize they're doing this or that this is coming from their own mind. It's a release, like a pressure release, only it, it explodes in a psychic way. Here's a hot take. We've all had a difficult time during this pandemic, so maybe there's going to be an uptick in local poltergeists? A little poltergeist-demic of our own? Looks like we're going to have to keep an eye out for poltergeist activity. But could there be another explanation for the mystery other than a poltergeist? Everything seems to point to John McDonald as being the source of the events. And of course, in, in the narrative account from his son, Neil T. McDonald, uh, there is this uh, uh, pointing to a land deal that goes wrong as being the source of the poltergeist. So there is this unidentified but uh, 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 obviously described as being this malicious family 
that um, uh, is perhaps bewitching the McDonald's. And this, it makes sense at the time that uh, the McDonald's would seek to blame other people for their problems. And also for the time, they would associate a witch as being responsible for events that they can't explain. Now, whether it was a witch, I don't know. But it does seem to be uh, very much a, a, a part of the, the, the common uh, era back in the 1800s. Whenever something happens that you can't explain, you, you, you go to your superstitions. You go to your cultural foundations. And in the case of the McDonald's, it was a witch that they had pointed to. It's a good thing they had a witch to blame because if my wife accidentally manifested a poltergeist, I think that could cause some serious marital difficulties. You never know. Maybe it was in their vows. For rich or for poor, in sickness or in health, for poltergeist or not a poltergeist. And, uh, there was a, a, um, a guy there who, who had a witch trap, a Dr. Troyer. Apparently, uh, Troyer had found a moonstone in his field. And he gave it to his daughter, who was about 15 years old, and she could read the moonstones. So at first she didn't want to do it, but then he convinced her. He traveled a long way, so she looked at it. She had this aloe look on her face, and she said, Mr. McDonald, have you, have have you had trouble with a piece of land? And he said, well, yes. And she said, have you noticed a strange bird in your flock? He said, I have this bird with a, this black-headed goose in my, in my flock. It doesn't belong to me. I've tried to get rid of it. It doesn't act like a normal goose. I don't know what it is or where it came from. She said, um, you, need to, you need to make a bullet of silver, and you need to go home, and you need to shoot that goose in the wing. Just injure it. Don't kill it. And then your enemy will be revealed. And so he did. He went home and he did that. And then he went down to the long, low house down the road. And there was the old crabby woman sitting in her rocking chair with her arm in a sling. The very same arm that he shot the wing of the goose. And after that, there was peace in the Baldur. I wonder how many geese were shot in the 1800s thanks to weird events like this one. Yeah, I'm sure that was probably a relatively common occurrence. Something I keep coming back to, though, is we're only getting one side of the story here, right? One of the most important features of the Baldoon mystery is whose voices aren't present. And this is really interesting to me because uh, uh, quite often we don't see American voices in the Baldoon mystery because there were many Americans who would come over from Michigan and witnessed the events. We also don't hear indigenous voices in the story of the Baldoon mystery. And it can be easily surmised that perhaps the antagonist is indigenous. The antagonist might herself be Anishinaabe. There are hints and there are uh, subtle innuendos throughout the Baldoon mystery. But what we get is this story of good triumphing, triumphing over evil. What we don't get are the more nuanced narratives from perhaps the antagonists, the quote-unquote antagonists' perspective. 
perhaps the McDonald's weren't as squeaky clean as they're portrayed by the son of the protagonist, John McDonald. That's a good point by Rick. There's definitely more to this story than what we have available to us. The amount of unrest at the time of the occurrence has played a huge part in what we're hearing, and the McDonald's seem to be at the root of it. Well, whatever or whomever caused these strange occurrences, it always seems to come back to the owner of the land. And without having the account from the old woman or the indigenous community, we may never know the truth about the Baldoon. But on a lighter note, all signs point to this being our very first poltergeist case. Unconsciously manifesting telekinesis, though, that's different. A little past what I'd call your average party trick. Can stress really create that kind of atmosphere? With flying bullets, balls of fire, black dog apparitions, and your entire house burning down? Not to mention shooting a goose to make it all stop? The thing is, is we'll, we'll never know. Something happened in Baldoon. It's well documented. But what caused it, the truth behind it, we'll never 100% know. It's just a, it's an interesting point in Southern Ontario history. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ghost Town. It was hosted by Haley Chang and Craig Needles and produced by Jessica Stokes and Patrick Magermans. On the next episode, ghosts of convicts and staff alike, from public hangings, sickness, and escapes gone wrong, the historic Huron County Jail is full of paranormal possibilities. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.